So today's reading comes from John chapter 10, uh, beginning at the first verse. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. Man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why would we listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's my great privilege to be able to uh, speak to you all from the Bible today. Earlier this week, I read that the self-improvement industry has now grown to such an extent that it's worth $13.2 billion. I found that quite staggering but at the same time it's not really all that surprising we soak up information to make our lives better we want to be the next master chef have a better homes and gardens we optimize our finances to be like the barefoot investor and we even want abs like they eventually have in the biggest loser When you add the internet into the mix, you suddenly have so many different articles and voices 
telling you how you can live healthy, live calmer, sleep more, save time on housework, and just have energy for the things that you want to do in life. There are countless suggestions as to how to make your life a good life. This idea of living the good life actually isn't really a new one. In fact, Greek philosophers, uh, by analysing and looking at just the lives of people around them, they concluded that all of human life is in the pursuit of happiness and goodness. Everything we do, whether for honour, for pleasure, for virtue, is all done to pursue goodness and happiness, to live a good life. We want to be happy, we want to be what is good, and I think this is true for all of us here today. Our future decisions, relational investments, career choices, parenting goals, among others, are all spent in the pursuit of goodness. And I think it's right to want what is good. But when you think about it for a bit, it's hard to define what the good life looks like. It really depends on who you ask. If the good life is just purely material, you know, high standard of living, then the good life would just be a never-ending attempt to fulfil our physical desires. I read about uh, Pablo Escobar, the Colombian drug lord, who is estimated as being the wealthiest criminal in human history. His net worth was equivalent to 59 billion US dollars by today's standards. He owned numerous mansions. He had a his own private zoo with exotic animals from around the world. He had owned an island in the Caribbean with manors, apartments and even a helipad. I'd say he undoubtedly found satisfaction and happiness in his life and by material standards he was living the good life. But I doubt that anyone here would say that he lived a good life. While we may want what is good to live happily, what I think is good may be very different from what you think is good. And the good life that we're all chasing can seem so distant and unobtainable. There's no real clear way to achieve it. And the difficulty that you may, may find in your life is there's just so many voices out there telling you how you should be living. And if I've noticed anything, the hours are getting longer and the rest is getting shorter. More and more of your time is demanded by work or by other voices that influence our lives. And it can feed into a vicious cycle where before long, we just feel overburdened with the expectations placed upon us. Those expectations from our own desires and goals and they lead us to question if, even, if it's even worth it. Is the good life that we're pursuing really all that good? Maybe you've wrestled with this in the past or are currently struggling and you feel pulled in multiple directions. Maybe you just want what's best for your family or for your children, to live peacefully, surrounded by friends. Well, either way, the words that we heard from Jesus in this passage, just read for us, they cut right to the heart of what it means to pursue the good life. And it speaks directly to the challenges that we face today. Jesus' first claim is that he is the one that offers true life. 
life to the full. He even says he has the power to save. And I reckon if you ask people just on the street, you know, do you want to live a full life? I think everyone would answer yes. In fact, isn't living a fulfilling life just a key aspect of living the good life? Everyone wants their life to be satisfying. Everyone wants to look back at the end of their life and know that they did all they could to be happy. And this might surprise you. But Jesus also wants people to be happy, to live life to the full, in pursuit of goodness and happiness. However, this goodness and happiness can only be found in the one true God. The key difference is how Jesus tells us we can obtain life compared to how the world around us tells us. You see, in our passage today, Jesus' concern is not that people want the good life, but rather that the good life that people are pursuing so often leads them astray. It doesn't lead to ultimate happiness or goodness, let alone true life. And we can see this in Jesus' story of the Good Shepherd. In this passage that we just heard read, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the time, the social elite. They were the ones that were in charge of delivering God's law. They told people how they could live their lives. Not only that, but they were, of course, educated compared to everyone else in society. And they even had great amounts of wealth, respect, They were honoured by people. The name alone, Pharisee, means to be set apart. By outward appearances, they were living the good life. But if we think back to Pablo Escobar, there's far more to living the good life than just outward appearance and material wealth. And Jesus knew this too. In fact, in this story... Jesus likens the religious leaders, the ones who are dictating how to worship God, to thieves and robbers. Read with me from uh, verse 1 to 5. It says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. This picture of uh, shepherds and sheep that Jesus is talking about, it was a common way of talking about God and his people. God was the shepherd of Israel and he protected and provided for his people. What Jesus is implying is that these religious leaders have been leading God's people astray. It's as though they've been robbing from the sheep pen and deceiving the people. Imagine how you would feel if you found out that what you were pursuing was actually a lie and had been steering your life off course. Maybe your boss has been dangling a promotion in front of you, telling you that if you just took on more projects, you'd get ahead. Or perhaps someone you thought you could trust 
turned out to only be using you for their own gain. When these things happen, we're rightfully angry, indignant at the injustice that's been taken place. When we're taken advantage of, it hurts to be mistreated, particularly when what we're striving for can seem so noble. And when it comes to knowing God, it's even more serious. You see, God offers true life to those who follow him. But these religious leaders were more concerned with their own good life than those of the people that they were meant to shepherd. And this truly grieves Jesus. He holds true life in his hands. But all of these people, just like us, have been led astray by contrary voices. Well, this leads to Jesus making his first great claim a claim that can help us to understand what it truly means to live the good life. Read with me from verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here Jesus is making a bold claim. If the flock in the story are God's people, then what Jesus is saying that when he is the gate, well, he's saying that he is the only way to God. The thieves and robbers show themselves to be deceivers and destroyers, because they don't enter the sheep pen through the gate. It's a pretty simple analogy. When I get home tonight, I'll enter through the front door. That's because I'm the owner. If you drove past and you saw someone climbing through the window, you wouldn't think it was me getting home from church. Those who enter without ownership are imposters and criminals. And it's the same with God's household. Jesus is the owner, and he's the only one that's allowed to let people in. But here's the amazing thing. What Jesus is saying is that all who come to him, he will also let them enter into the people of God. Being one of God's people sets you free and saves you from the punishment that we all deserve. You see, like the thieves and robbers who are outside of God's people, we've also all disobeyed God and gone our own way. We've rejected the creator and instead pursued the creation. This is why so often our pursuit of the good life leads to disappointment and unfulfillment. We've been too busy chasing the good things God has made and we've forgotten that he is the author of all goodness. And if we're honest with ourselves... We've all rejected God in this way. But Jesus offers an opportunity for us to be saved, to restore our relationship with God so that we can become one of his children. All the wrong that we've done, the guilt that we hold is taken away. All if we believe in Jesus. So how does this help us live the good life though? How does it help us in our day-to-day life? We can often think that all Jesus offers is things for us after we die. 
Jesus in verse 10, he tells us that he has come so that we may have life, life to the full. Not just a future spiritual life, but a full life here and now. If you recall, the tension that we found at the beginning is that we're all chasing our own version of the good life. The problem isn't wanting to live the good life, but that our idea of the good life is fundamentally flawed. And honestly, at times, it's too small. Jesus wants us to expand our vision, to see the magnitude of what it means to truly live life to the full. I want us to just consider for a moment what it means to be good. Good is a word that we often use in everyday life. We say, how are you going? Good. How was your weekend? Good. We use the word good to describe the quality of something. A good life is contrast with its negative, a bad life. You can have a good sun, a good week, a good job, a good holiday, and they can all be contrast with their negative. It's natural that we want the good and reject the bad. But what about when it comes to God? We often hear Christians say, God is good. But when we talk about God being good, we're not just describing his positive qualities. We're saying that God is goodness. His eternal being is goodness itself. At the same time, God is love. He's also graciousness, kindness, among many others. All these attributes are core to who God is. So when we say that good things come from God, we don't just mean he distributes good to people, but that he is the source of all goodness because he is good in his being. And this is what Jesus is getting at when he says, all who come to him will live life to the full. You don't have to look far to recognize that our world isn't perfect. When humans reject God, they also renounce the source of all goodness. You just need to think. Who is greater, the artist or the painting? Why would you worship and fixate your life on the creation when the one who has made it is standing right there? And we can freely come to him through Jesus. The point of reference for those following Jesus has entirely shifted. They still pursue the good life. It's just that the good that they are after is found in God and their hope in him is not misplaced. When our hope is in this world, when it disappoints, our lives can be thrown off course. We can be tossed about like a ship in stormy waters and they can seem to be controlled by uncontrollable forces despite our best efforts. But if our hope is in God... Well, then whatever happens on earth today is not a reason to lose heart. Now, this isn't saying that Christians suddenly avoid all uncertainties and sufferings, but rather that their gaze is lifted towards the one who is ultimately good. And God promises that he works for the good of all those who love him. We can have peace, comfort and joy in this world because our life is no longer tied to our pursuit of things, but rather in God who does not disappoint. This is what it means when Jesus says he's come to bring life 
to the full. Jesus lets us enter into God's people. And as God's people, we find the good life in his care. And the great news is this, that this offer is, all, is open to all who turn and believe in Jesus. So you might be asking then, so what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? We've heard how we can come to Jesus, that he won't turn us away, and rather he wants us to be part of God's family. And even as Christians, we can find the good life in God. But I think one of the major barriers that we can find when following Jesus, even as a Christian, is that we don't always believe that what Jesus offers is that good. Does following Jesus really lead to the good life? It's so easy to get sidetracked by all those voices telling us what to do. And sometimes it can even feel like Jesus is just another one of those voices, making demands of us, telling us what we can and can't do. And if you felt this way, I really want you to hear what Jesus says next. Read with me from verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Unlike all the different opinions trying to vie for our attention, Jesus asks only one thing of us, to listen to his voice. Did you notice that? Throughout our passage, the theme of listening to the voice of the shepherd recurs time and time again. All that is asked of them is to listen and follow their shepherd. All those other things that we're tempted to pursue, they can promise the world while expecting more and more of us, even when they fail to deliver. Our human efforts are not enough to satisfy our weary souls. Here, Jesus doesn't give us more work. You know, do this and this, and maybe this, and then oh, potentially you might find rest but rather he gives us less, and here's how. First, he knows his sheep. For Jesus, knowing his sheep isn't just an intellectual knowledge, but a relational knowledge. We know this because Jesus compares the love that he has for his sheep with the knowledge between him and God the Father. This knowledge demonstrates a depth of relationship that is characterized by unfathomable love, a love that only comes from God himself. And the great thing is that Jesus knows you. He knows each one of us. He knows that you're, bur you're burdened and weary. He knows that you've been disappointed in the past. And he knows that we've been led astray. 
and he loves us and he draws us to him with open arms. He doesn't just hold the gate open to come into God's people, but he actively leads his followers in their day-to-day life. All he wants is for us to listen to his voice. Second, he lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus' statement here is closely tied with his love that he has for the sheep. This act of devotion demonstrates that the sheep are precious to him, that he's willing to go to great lengths to protect them, even to the point of death. As Jesus leads us through the troubles of our day-to-day life, he protects us, he keeps us, he draws us near to him. And it's this idea that we can find in the Psalms. Psalm 23, one of my favourite Psalms, says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As we navigate the perils of this life, we're not alone. Jesus is with us even when we wander through deepest darkness. And Jesus is no stranger to death. In fact, he demonstrated his love for his people by literally laying down his life for them. Earlier, we talked about how we've all been chasing after different things in life. We've rejected God followed our own way. We worship the creation rather than the creator. But what I didn't mention is that this rebellion has consequences. Yes, it is true that if we believe in Jesus, he lets us into the people of God. But this is only possible because of Jesus, because he himself paid the consequence of our rebellion. You see, The consequence of rejecting God is separation from him, a separation that leads to death. But thanks be to our Lord Jesus, who took all our wrongs, our guilt, our shame, everything bad that we've ever done, and he died in our place, and he rose again. We've been forgiven. Though Jesus lived the perfect life, he pursued God and not the world, He gave it up for your sake. That is why Jesus can say that he has the authority to let people in to come to God. Because God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to pay the price that we could not pay. Have you noticed the pattern? Rather than demand more of us, Jesus instead says, look to me, look at what I have done. Living the good life isn't a matter of doing more in the hope of finding fulfilment through our own efforts, but rather looking at what Jesus has done. We are not made the people of God through our own actions, but because of Jesus' actions. And this is grace, receiving what we don't deserve. This is the good life, true life, life to the full, a life that has been saved from death and restored to life. Sure, we're still going to have struggles in this life. We still seek goodness and happiness, but we know that the good in life 
is already found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or maybe, for some of you here today, this might be the first time that you've heard this news. Or perhaps you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but have been sidetracked by the worries of this world. Or simply forgotten the voice of the shepherd amidst the busyness of life. Either way, I want to remind you of what a good shepherd Jesus is. If you hold on to him, you really have come through the gate into God's people and he will lead you. All he asks is for you to hear his voice and follow him. And if, we, and if you do, we know that God forgives all who believe in Jesus and they receive eternal life through the grace of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can enter into your people through Jesus. We come to you knowing that we don't deserve your grace, but because of your great love for us, Jesus died so that we can be set free from all our guilt and shame. We give great thanks that you lift our eyes from our own tired efforts to those of Jesus, that we can leave with him all our concerns and worries, knowing that you alone are good. Help us to draw near to Jesus, our good shepherd, and hear his voice. Lead us in the path of true happiness, a joy found in knowing and being loved by God. Amen.